from Buck Studio at Wisconsin Public Radio, this is Zorba Pastor on your health. I'm Tom Clark here again with Family Doc Zorba Pastor, talking with you about what's new in healthy living, sharing some down-to-earth advice and great lifestyle tips to help you get the most out of life. If you have a question for the good doc, the number to call is 800 462 7413. And along with your calls, we have some topics to talk about, Zorba. Sure. Change your diet, add years to your life. What do you think? Sounds like a good idea. Doesn't it sound? That sounds like a good idea. Where does diet fit in? Well, somebody quantitated that. It may add years to your life. We're going to talk about how that works. COVID-19, loss of a sense of smell. I have patients who had that. Uh, I mean, you know, this one one person worked at the hospital. He said, when people walk in with flowers and roses, it doesn't smell good to me. It smells like stinky garbage. We're going to talk about the loss of sense of smell, COVID-19, what you can do if you actually have that. Mm-hmm. And uh, what's our special recipe? Pomegranate today? rice salad. I know that your mom was really into pomegranate. <laughs> she was. That was like wow. Pomegranate time would come out. She'd open it up, take the seeds out. Yeah. I think like I. My uh, mom. I think I heard about pomegranate <laughs> when I got that's to right. know you. That's, 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 <laughs> that, 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 that was not that long ago. That's about it. Pomegranates was pomegranate was never the fruit on our menu when I grew up, if it wasn't a banana or an apple or an orange, maybe a lemon or lime, it did not exist. Anyway, pomegranate rice salad, great recipe. Okay, let's get to the phones now, Zorba, at 1-800-462-7413. 800-462-7413. Our first caller joins us now from Burlington, Wisconsin. Hi. Hi. How can we help? Well, I've had chronic pain for the last 30 years, but I had a car accident about 10 years ago, and uh, they told me I had a series of pinched nerves through my neck and spine. But I've always thought about this. Uh, When I was a younger man, I was fishing in Canada, and I was struck by lightning. And I'm wondering if that had anything to do with, you know, the pain and nerves in my body. I uh, thought I'd give you a call because you guys seem to be right on top of things. So uh, I'd like to see if uh, there's something else we can do. I mean, I'm taking uh, meloxetine and probably ibuprofen for the mm-hmm. pain, but the pain shows up all over my body at different times, and it's oh, kind of yeah. hard to figure. Yeah. How, tell me, where were you when you were struck by lightning? Oh, I was in Canada fishing on a lake with my brother. Yeah, uh, and what? how old were you? 23. 23, what were you doing? You were on the lake, and there was a storm. Give me give me a little more history on that. Oh, sure. Um, we were we went to a camp for like a three-day fishing trip uh-huh. in uh, Whitefish Lake, mm-hmm. which is, get it, from Thunder Bay. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. <laughs> so so um, we were out on the lake fishing, and uh, the reason... I guess I should start first. The reason we went out there is because the fish were biting like crazy. But every hour or so, another thunderstorm would roll over. So we decided to go for it because mm-hmm. some boys came in and they had a stringer full of walleyes. You wouldn't believe. <laughs> so yeah, motivated yeah. you, you know, thunder, sure thunderstorm be damned. They got the walleyes. We're going for the fish. We're those are Wis- for the fish. those are Wisconsin boys. That's right. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. What and you're it in, was. and you're in your twenties. You know, so you're on <laughs> so you're on the lake and you're fishing. Yeah, and a, a big storm started coming in and uh, we decided we better get off the lake for now uh-huh. and uh, I was in a different spot than usual and I headed straight for the camp but I ran into a weed bed and uh, it killed the motor so I had to pull the motor out pull the weeds off and uh, I put the motor back in the water started to go and that's the last thing I remember uh-huh. so boy you are lucky you're lucky you're alive well, yeah, 
Yeah. Um, well, yeah. What do you mean? It's like, well, yes. There's no, well, yeah. Death by lightning is not fun. You know, you could be charred or go into atrial fibrillation. I mean, a ventricular fibrillation. Yeah. yeah. I, did, I did get charred. But um, the thing is that... that uh, Where did it the, go through? That's what I, I want to know. Did it hit uh, your my head? My leg. Or, uh-huh. It went... Where I was sitting on the, on the cushion on the seat of an mm-hmm. aluminum boat mm-hmm. and uh, the back of my neck where my hair so was went, so knotted. So it either went from your leg to the back of your neck or the back of your neck to your leg. One of those two ways. Something like that. Mm-hmm. I had third degree burns on my leg. Okay. But, and you've got back pain now, right? I, I have mm-hmm. back pain, but I, I was in a car accident mm-hmm. also. But prior to that, I've always had similar some pain, but not like things have gotten now. It's well, let me, let, let, me, let me tell you something. There's no doubt in my mind that the lightning strike affected your body in an adverse way. And it is oh. not unusual to have neurological complications right away or later on. And think about it. A big bolt of electricity went in your body and out of your body. It has to travel in and out. I mean, it doesn't just stay there. It doesn't... You know, pop no, like a bomb. Right, right, it goes, right, it goes right. in and out. So it can affect yeah. your nervous system and the way you appreciate pain. So you uh-huh. had a car accident ten years ago, like you said, and that was, you know, and that that certainly could enter into it. But your question is, was the lightning part of this? And my answer is, yes, it probably does play a role in your chronic pain. Okay, but now, there's you, really nothing. We can do, right? No, 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 no. Don't, that's, there's always something we can do, even if it's just a, a diagnosis. But the reality uh, is there are things. Are you, have you, what sort of pain do you have? Let's look at that right now. What's your okay. main pain problem? My main pain problem right now is my lower back. And, what are you uh, taking for? Are you taking meloxicam, you said, an anti-inflammatory? Yeah. Uh-huh. And, you, and ibuprofen. And I, well, you shouldn't take them together. You should take one or the other. Oh. Meloxicam or ibuprofen, they're both anti-inflammatories. It's A or B. You don't take them together because they can okay. cause side effects. Take one oh. or the other, either ibuprofen okay. or that. But you want to ask your doctor for gabapentin. Now, gabapentin is a drug we use for chronic nerve pain. It's an anti-epileptic drug. We don't use it in the doses for epilepsy, although sometimes we do. And it works well for chronic neurological pain. And I would try that out on you and see if that's part of the issue because you had a lightning strike. And so maybe part of this is neurological. So gabapentin, 100 to 300 milligrams, two to three times a day. You can even go up to 800 milligrams three times a day for some people. And that may help your pain. That's what I would add to this. Okay. That's, that's good news. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, You're welcome. Yeah. And, and uh, I appreciate all you do for oh, everybody. Oh, well, thank you. By the way, yeah. what did your brother do when he saw lightning strike you? I can't say I was knocked out pretty much cold, uh-huh. but uh-huh. I did come to just a little bit in the boat to hear him screaming for help. But uh, we were fortunate that uh, there were some nurses staying at the camp, and once he got back there, they treated me for shock, and uh, they hauled me into the hospital in Thunder Bay. And uh, they treated me there. But the doctors there told me that uh, more people survive lightning strikes and die from them. And they told me that they thought it was a fork lightning mm-hmm. where it hit the lake and then it skirts across and uh-huh. then it gets whatever. Well, in the lake. I- I'll tell you something. They don't call it Thunder Bay for nothing. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. The light came on after that, right? You got it, baby. That's why they renamed it Thunder Bay. It was renamed in the 60s. I can't remember what the old name was. Port Port Arthur and Fort William. You see, and everyone said there are all these storms coming. There's all this thunder all the time. Let's rename it Thunder Bay. Catchy name. Catchy name. Yes. So, thank you very much for the compliment. Glad you survived that lightning strike. Well, thank you too. And uh, uh, like I say, I really appreciate your show. Thank you. We thank really you. appreciate that call. Thanks a lot for calling. That's scary. Wouldn't that be something? Oh, it'd be totally scary. And I, um, I've had patients and other people come up to me. So, I had a woman who uh, 
who was in Sauk Prairie, who came up to me. I gave a lecture there, and she had a terrible time. She was walking. I don't know. It was in her backyard. It was a thunderstorm, and lightning came in her shoulder and out her foot. And so she had chronic, oh. terrible, mm. chronic nerve pain for this was like ten years post lightning. It does goofy things to your body. What's amazing is how many people survive it. I mean, a bolt of lightning going through your body, you think people would either be charred. But the issue actually is ventricular fibrillation. A lot of people who die, if they die from it, it's because of the heart rhythm disturbance. Mm, ouch. 462 is our number. Now, Zorba, let's have a voicemail from Juarez, Mexico. The question for Dr. Zorba, and I would uh appreciate so much his answer. How do you know if you're starting to have dementia? I'm 75 years old. I've been healthy all my life, but I I fear that I might be having dementia. Talk about a good question. I would call that a really good question. So first of all, 80% of the people 80 years of age in some way have a mild cognitive impairment. That's sort of the latest numbers that came out of Mayo Clinic. So at the age of 75, you might have a mild cognitive impairment. The real question is, what is that cognitive impairment? Does it interfere with your life? Is it you can't remember the names of you know uh, of people who come to the house who you should know, you know, your good friends? Or is it a mild fact that you've got to write things down? And, and the answer is, we don't really have a good answer for that. Uh, you know, people worry about it as we get older because we see people who then have memory disturbance where they ask things. They may have immediate memory disturbance and other things, but there's no real thing we can do. Now, there can be neuropsychological testing. You know, you go in, you see a neuropsychologist, you spend an hour or two doing testing, and when they're all done, they'll say, well, a lot of times, you know, you're not exactly, you don't remember things the way you used to, but it's really not an easy thing. Often it's the people around around you, the younger people around you who may notice things, and they are probably the first people to notice if there is cognitive impairment. But but we cannot predict who's going to have cognitive impairment, and we cannot have it. And I don't like the word dementia. I like the word cognitive impairment because once you have dementia, you're sort of casting aspersions onto that person and you immediately say, well, they're dementia and you get an idea that it's going to have a downhill course and then you picture the worst downhill course. And the reality is some people have mild cognitive impairment and some people have severe cognitive impairment. Some people like my mother fall off the wall right away, you know, over a one-year period. She couldn't remember my wife's name. And then you have other people, uh, you know, a lot of patients in my practice who will just slowly either have some impairment or it stops. They've got an impairment, then it stays stable and it doesn't get any worse. So the big answer is it's a gray zone. 800-462-7413 is our number. That's 1-800-462-7413. Now, Zorba, let's get to our first topic. Changing your diet could add up to 13 years to your life? Yeah, you'd be 106 if we did that. <laughs> not, not quite 106. So you can change your diet. Start eating beans all day, change your diet. That's That'll make a difference. Would you do that? Would you make changes in your diet? Your diet is actually really, probably but, not bright enough. But, to but do at, that. bright enough. Your diet is actually is actually very good. What do you have for What did you have for breakfast? You actually have a very good diet. I, I mean, we joke about you, it. You know, nobody cares what I have. Come cereal. on, every, every, I have cereal everyone, for everyone cares. They, they ask me on the street, "What is time to eat for breakfast?" Yeah, yeah, right, <laughs> they stop right, me. And they right, say. Right. So part of this is actually making your food, thinking about your food, and not having processed foods. Yeah. And this particular study actually looked at making changes. They looked at chronic health, premature death, and disease, what role does it play with carbohydrates, legumes, uh, which are, you know, which are beans, plant-based things. And they looked at a meta-analysis from the global burden of disease. They looked at about 286 causes of death, everything from, uh, every, everything essentially from heart disease to cancer to accidental deaths and so on. And they, in 204 countries, and they came up with a longevity diet, which basically was a plant, more plant-based diet. doesn't have to be totally plant-based, but plant-based diet. Beans, peas, lentils, 
whole grains, walnuts, almonds, pecans, pistachios. They found all of these things, kind of things that we know about, which really do it and, and, and which Americans struggle to do so. Only 12% of adults consume one to two cups of fruit a day. Can you believe it? Only 12%. I mean, so that means only kind of one out of eight, you know, adults actually consume a cup or two of fruit every day. And when you look at only 10% of Americans eat the recommend two to three cups of vegetables per day, uh, you know, as well as legumes. So what happens is, here it is, for the last, I don't know, for the last 20 or 30 years, We've been saying five servings of fruits and vegetables, eat more fruit, eat more vegetables, and it's done squat. It's done diddly, and we haven't done anything. In other words, mm-hmm. you know, we lay it out. You go into the grocery store. The first thing you pass in most grocery stores is a beautiful aisle of vegetables and fruit. Look at the number of people that are sitting in the vegetable aisle, and then go to the back of the grocery store I go, I go to and look at how many people are looking at chicken and beef and pork sausage, and I bet you'll find more people looking looking at that, that are standing around looking at the vegetables. So this particular study showed that if you really develop a more plant-based, Mediterranean-type diet, that's what they're really talking about. They're always going back to the king of diets, the queen of diets, the Mediterranean diet. You will live longer. The issue is not just that. The issue is how do you take that information and change it in your life? Now, you, Tom, have a wife who has taken up cooking. Did she cook this much 10 years ago? No, no, I, no, she I don't did think not. so, no. She did not, no. because I look at her. She posts a lot of her food on her Facebook page, mm-hmm. and I periodically look at my news feed. I'm not a big Facebook person, but I'll look at it maybe once every other day, once every three days, and she's on my news feed. And lo and behold, I mean, here it is. She looks at, she puts out what she made. She takes pictures of it. So she, over the last few years, has taken up cooking, which means you now have control of your diet. If you look at pre-made food... You have no control over it. No. It's more filled uh, with uh, with fat, carbohydrates, and a whole bunch of other things you don't need. So the bottom line is take control, make a plant-based Mediterranean diet, and even if you're at the age of 50, 60, or 70, you may add years to your life. It's worth taking those steps. Interesting. 800-462-7413 is our number. That's 800-462-7413. Before we take a quick break, Zorba, let's check in with your favorite hair splitters and (laughs) fault finders, the grammar police. Actually, Zorba, we're going to hear from the most easily feather-ruffled and persnickety faction (laughs) within the grammar police, the pronunciation police. Oh, no. Oh, no. Remember them? They're a tough group to appease. (laughs) This infraction came to us from uh, via voicemail from a listener named Joel in Wilton, Connecticut. I was just uh, wanting to follow up on... Earlier callers' contention that uh, that the pronunciation "cumin" was correct. Actually, the traditional pronunciation is "cumin." Uh, and in a, a recent uh, recipe, uh, I believe she called for not only cumin but also shallots, uh, for which the again the traditional pronunciation is shallot. Um, oh, and by the way, on, on the matter of of cumin, um, at, at one time. Um, it was actually sometimes spelled with two M's, reflecting that pronunciation. Bye. You know something? <laughs> I am so happy these people are out there because, you know, I mean, when it comes to pronunciation, especially when it comes to cumin, cumin, I mean, cumin, cumin, whatever it is, double M, single M and everything like that. These things are very important. You know, what's really important is if we don't have persnickety people <laughs> who guide us in our pronunciation, our language will simply become sloppy. And it's really important for us to pronounce things correctly because that produces a longer life than the Mediterranean diet. <laughs> well, uh, thanks, Shalot, for that tip, Joel. Oh, thanks, <laughs> thanks Zorba... Shalot. We'll be coming around the mountain when she comes. Did, we'll be coming around the mountain when she comes. Did Zorba mispronounce something on the program? <laughs> you bet the pronunciation police will be 
coming for him. <laughs> Just post on our Facebook page, or you could always send us an email at Zorba at WPR.org. Now, there's one spice that I think they're going to find is difficult to fault me on. You know what that spice is? No. Salt. <laughs> it's hard to mispronounce salt. You get that right every time. We have more of your calls coming up. Zorba will answer more of your emails. Pepper. Pepper. We'll, Try we'll that. Be, we'll be pepper, putting together pepper. a healthy salt. pomegranate salad. All that coming up on Zorba Passer on Your Health from PRX. Tom Clark here with Family Doc Zorba Pastor on Zorba Pastor on Your Health. That number again, 800-462-7413. But Zorba, before our next call, we're going to put together some pomegranate rice salad. Pomegranate. So start out with Mm -hmm. four cups of long grain rice, any kind. Mm -hmm. Uh, Two teaspoons of extra virgin olive oil. Two little tea, extra virgin olive oil. A bunch of scallions. Is that how you pronounce it? Is it scallions? Scallions, yeah. Scallions. That's a bunch. A bunch of scallions. The white and the green parts. Mm -hmm. Uh, Three cloves of minced garlic. Three cloves, minced garlic. A third of a cup of toasted, chopped pistachios. A third of a cup toasted, chopped pistachios. That's right. Half a cup of chopped parsley. Half a cup chopped parsley. Now we've got half a cup of pomegranate. What are they? Areals? What are they called? Let's get get the pronunciation from Carl, our producer. How do you pronounce that? Errols. Errols. Okay. Half a cup of pomegranate errols. That's the stuff in the middle of the pomegranate. Go for it. A half a cup of that. (laughs) A third of a cup of fresh mint leaves. Pronounce mint leaves. See if you can pronounce that. A third of a cup fresh mint leaves. How about sea salt? Can you get sea salt in there? Well, give it a try. Sea salt. <laughs> Freshly grown back. And some roasted chickpeas. Roasted chickpeas. See, hard to mispronounce chickpeas, right? Chickpeas. Hard to mispronounce it. Uh, let's go on to the dressing. Mm-hmm. This, by the way, folks, is a recipe you don't want to write down when you're driving in your car. <laughs> or you'll get, get in a car crash. <laughs> Two tablespoonfuls of extra virgin olive oil. Two big tea extra virgin olive oil. Two tablespoons of white wine vinegar. Two big tea, white wine vinegar. One tablespoon of fresh orange juice. One big tea, fresh orange juice. And a teaspoon of zest, orange zest. A little tea, a uh, zest. zest. Yeah. One tablespoon of fresh lemon juice. A big tea, fresh lemon juice. A half a teaspoon of maple syrup. Half a little tea, maple syrup. Half a teaspoon of ground cumin. Half a little tea, ground cumin. See, I pronounced it. See, I listened to the pronunciation, please. Mm -hmm. And I pronounced it correctly, I think, ground Mm -hmm. cumin. A half teaspoon of ground coriander. Half a little tea, ground coriander. Quarter teaspoon of cinnamon. Quarter little tea, cinnamon. Half teaspoon of sea salt. Half a little tea, sea salt. And some freshly ground black pepper. Freshly ground black pepper. Pepper. I'm tired even pronouncing this. <laughs> but the reality is you line all this stuff together and you do it. I mean, mm. that's what I do in my kitchen. I love this. Okay. Make the dressing. In a small bowl, whisk together the olive oil, vinegar, orange, the orange juice, the orange zest, lemon juice, maple syrup, cumin, or cumin rather, coriander, cinnamon, salt, and a pinch of pepper. And actually, if you just use this dressing, this dressing is an 
unbelievable dressing uh, for a salad. And I mean, a good dressing is made up with lots of different stuff. Heat the oil in a large skillet over medium heat. Add the scallions, garlic, pinches of salt and pepper. Cook for a minute. Reduce the heat to low. Add cooked rice using the back of a wooden spoon to break it up. Any clumps, heat it until it's warm. Turn off the heat. Stir in the dressing and the pistachios, parsley, and pomegranates. Top with mint leaves and roasted chick leaves, uh, chickpeas rather, and then season it with salt and pepper. So this particular recipe is a lot of work, but it's a very unique recipe. It would be a wonderful recipe to serve. And I promise you, if you make it, it will satisfy you if you want to taste something different. And frankly, we don't use pomegranate very much, and it's something that's worthwhile trying in your kitchen. Mm. And you know how they can get a copy of this recipe? Um. That's right. Just all they have to do is think and it'll come to their brain. But if it doesn't come to your brain right away, uh, and if your brain like my brain, you can't remember half the recipe, go to zorbapastry.org, zorbapastry.org. Find that and lots of other recipes. And of course, you can always find us through Facebook. wonder how many we're going to uh, requests we're going to get for Well, this. that's it. Do we? I don't know if we, we keep track of the downloads. Is that possible, Carl? Uh, no, we don't. So the answer is, we'll never know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Zorba, 800-462-7413 is our number. That's 800-462-7413. Let's get back to the phones now. A listener with us in Burlington, Wisconsin. Hi. Hi. How can we help? I'm calling to ask Zorba about... a. Um condition I have with my right wrist. I broke it from a fall from a ladder, and it looks like my bone has healed, but my doctor said I have something called CRPS, complex regional pain syndrome, and I'm right-handed, and this is just causing me a lot of stress and complications, and I want to know if there's anything else I can do to help get rid of this or to alleviate my pain and just sure, sure, any sure, sure. advice um, Is it still swollen? Is the swelling down? Uh, my swelling has gone down quite a bit. Okay. Uh, my coworkers were telling me that my hand looked dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, wow. It was covered in brown skin, like not getting circulation. So what are you doing for it? I had a stellate ganglion injection. Okay, so that's a, that's an injection into the nerve that feeds that area. Into that, the that neck, may, uh-huh. Right, into the neck. Uh, and basically, it's to feed the area, and it really has to do with the sympathetic and autonomic nervous system that may be activated here that's continuing with the swelling. So you had a stellate. Oh, well, that's, that's pretty significant. What happened after that? It's funny because as Right after, I just felt like a puddle, Mm -hmm. Uh, and I don't know if it was just some kind of relief or my own hope that something was going to magically be better, but I'm not certain that that I've seen, like, a lot of difference except a little bit towards the middle pain in my arm because I have pain Mm -hmm. from my fingers all the way to my shoulder. All the way to shoulder. Now, have you tried something called contrast baths? Did did you try that initially at all? What is that? Well, contrast baths are where you put your arm in ice cold water and you hold it there uh, for, if you can, for a minute or two, just as cold as you can. And then you dip it into, you take two buckets and then you dip it into warm water for a minute. And then you put it back in the cold water. You do that three or four or five times. And you do that once a day or twice a day. And that's something that sometimes helps with complex regional pain syndrome. It's sort of an old-fashioned remedy for it that old Dr. Kellogg, uh, my partner who was in World War II in Korea, and Dr. Dukashine in Korea, uh, and they would do this. They would talk about contrast baths. And sometimes that that helped, that very simple thing. And I'm talking about really cold. I mean, the mm-hmm. bucket is filled with a like lot of... Like people do. I get it. Yeah, right. You got it. <laughs> I get it. You got it. So I would definitely try that and mm-hmm. see if that would work. Um, and, and may the, I say something else? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I do like little exercises with my occupational therapist, and I now have like a band, and a resistant band. Good. Good, and good. I've mm-hmm. just moved to like a five-pound weight. Mm-hmm. And when I go to sleep, 
I normally sleep on my right side and somewhere like in my, I guess that's your bicep, tricep, Mm -hmm. it really hurts and it's hard to lay on it. So, Mm -hmm. but I end up doing that when I wake up and I don't know if that contributes to anything, but each day when I wake up, my hand feels like over tight guitar strings, like, like my hand is just very taut and, uh, and I have to like start the process each day of like trying to get it to bend and to move and, uh, and then I can never quite make a fist all the way, but it's just so frustrating and depressing for a person who likes to do yoga every day. No, no, very much so. Um, the problem with chronic pain is it Mm -hmm. infects your whole life. I mean, your whole life space, it can be infected by chronic pain because it's so intrusive. And that's, that's the issue. You're on, are you on any medications, any oral medications? I was, I'm not good with medication. I like to keep it natural, but they convinced me to take gabapentin 100 milligrams. And then we just moved it to 300 milligrams a day Mm -hmm. a couple of weeks ago. Uh, How many times a day? Uh, I'm just taking it once before around 8 p.m. ish. Did that help at all? I'm not certain okay. if it's okay. helping because so, I still have all these random pains right, right. in the hand so, thing each morning. So there are a few things. If you're going to try gabapentin, you want to try the highest dose that you can tolerate and see whether or not that does anything. So you can take up to – I have a lot of patients who are on 300 milligrams three times daily and then I have some patients on 800 milligrams three times daily. The drug can be pushed up that high. And then there's a sister drug, a little bit, little bit different, uh, called pregabalin, very similar. And that dosage is up to 150 milligrams three times daily. I would push that and see what that does because okay. the more you move your arm, the mm-hmm. more you use it, the better off it is. The other drug I would consider is duloxetine. Duloxetine is an antidepressant that actually works not as an antidepressant but also works mm-hmm. for people with chronic pain. And it's a very good – it's called an SNRI, not an SSRI. And it's mm-hmm. very, very good for chronic pain. And I would look at uh, duloxetine to see if Duloxetine. that would work too. And I would try those drugs. Even though you're not a, a drug person, you don't want to take mm-hmm. a pill, you may want to be able to take a pill so you can begin to do more and more exercise and movement with that, which is ultimately what you need to try to heal this thing. So I think you ought to manipulate those two drugs in addition to the contrast best. Those are mm-hmm. – those are the things, if you came to my office, that I would recommend. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you so much. Good luck. It's frustrating. It's difficult, but there's hope. It is. <laughs> Have a wonderful week, and I Thank appreciate you. what you do. Thanks. Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks a lot for that call at 800-462-7413. Okay, Zorba, as you know, we get so many questions from our wonderful listeners, but we also get calls from listeners who just want to share a comment or a health tip. So it's time again for that segment we call Caller Comments. This is a bunch of caller comments. People calling us with their health tips. Thanks. We appreciate it. Okay, Zorba, our first comment comes from a listener in Wisconsin. Hi. This is a comment about the man who drinks too much and then he has cramps in his legs. I, uh, years ago, watched a football game where the doctor on the field ran out and helped the football player on his back with terrible cramping. And the simple thing in solving it was he pulled on his upper lip and tugged and tugged and tugged, and the cramp goes away. I have since used that for years and years and years, and it works. I wake up at night with a terrible cramp, grab my lip, under, you know, my nose and pull and squeeze and tug and the cramp seems to go away right away. I told this to a girl who was walking down the stairs one day and I said, what's wrong with you? And she said, I have a cramp. So I said, pull your lip, pull your lip, pull your lip. So she did (laughs) and it went away and she worked and she goes, oh, thank you, Jesus. (laughs) But I share that with you. So thank you. And I enjoy the program. Thank you so much for doing this. Bye-bye. That is a great story. <laughs> I, I occasionally get cramps. I'm going to pull my upper lip when I get a cramp and see if that works. You know what? 
If it gets rid of the cramps, do it. There are a lot of things people do to get rid of cramps, but I have never heard of the upper lip method. I wish she would have left her phone name because we could name it after her. So I love it. I love it. She's noticing somebody walking strange down the steps and she said, stop, pull your lip. It'll go away. And then the woman is so thankful. Great. You know what I love about this show? People share all of the home remedies that are going on and that is a great home remedy. Next, next up, Zorba, <laughs> we uh, we hear from our neighbors in the north. Here's a caller in Ontario, Canada. I'm legally blind and in a wheelchair, and I just love listening to your program. And I love the fact that you read the emails on the air, that you actually value the interaction of voices on the air, uh, me being visually impaired, I'm unable to use a computer at all, and I rely on telephone contact. So I find your program to be wonderful. Uh, thanks so much. Bye for now. Oh, nice. How nice. Mm-hmm. What a wonderful what a wonderful comment. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, if you're listening, thank you so much for that comment. We really do appreciate it. And finally, Zorba, here's a listener who hails from what some say is the cheese curd capital of Wisconsin, (laughs) and that is Ellsworth, Wisconsin. I'm calling not to disagree with the doc, but with Tom. He said nobody's 25 years older than him. My Aunt Emmelyn in Milwaukee is 105, and she would argue with him about that. Thanks. <laughs> well, I'm getting That's there. That's, you're getting, <laughs> I'm That's getting right. there. That's right. That's right. Well, you're headed in the right direction, Tom. <laughs> more, more of your calls coming up. Another interesting topic to talk about. And more listener emails as well. All that on Zorba Pastor on Your Health from PRX. I'm Clark with Family Doc Zorba Pastor here on Zorba Pastor on Your Health. That number again is 800-462-7413. But Zorba, before our next call, how does COVID-19 cause people to lose the sense of smell and how many regain it? Well, it's a big issue. It's not a small issue. Uh, I like to talk about a patient of mine who said, worked at the hospital, worked in security, and he said people would walk in with flowers and it smelled like rotten garbage to him. Mm. You know, it really is a terrible thing. I have another guy, he's a construction worker, and he said, you know, I love pizza. And in the middle of eating my pizza, I mean, I really like a sausage pizza. It smells like a, it's stinky and it doesn't smell good. And so this turns out to be a very major issue. And it's estimated now that literally about 95% of the people with COVID experience some or total smell loss. Most, I mean, so in other words, it turns out to be a very, very common thing. In other words, and it's, and it's distinctly with COVID. And, uh, and it's called anosmia. It's a better predictor that they have the virus than anything else because it's unusual for other viral infections to actually cause something like this. There are other symptoms, often a runny nose, uh, but we're not exactly sure exactly what this anosmia is. And there, there are a couple of theories. So one theory is that genetics really play a role. So some people may actually have a genetic predisposition uh, to this loss. And most people, by the way, do regain their sense of smell often within two to three months, but some people haven't regained some people have regained it literally at a at a year. Um, and there are little there's these two olfactory genes, these genes in the back of our uh, genetics uh, that, that really control the back of our nose and how well we smell. And some people smell better and often those people who have a better sense of smell really notice the difference in food and taste and they may be the ones who are most likely to have a problem with this. So genes play a role. We think that inflammation plays a role with this particular loss. Uh, but the answer is, is there anything you can do about it? I mean, that would be something you would worry about, right? Oh, sure. 
I mean, that's really, that's really an issue. So there's no absolute thing. There's some people who believe that saline flushes in the back of the nose, like a neti pot, will actually help. Other people think that, uh, that maybe a steroid inhaler may make a difference and that may help the inflammation in the back of the nose. Uh, but the reality is we're not really sure what to do when that actually happens. So the answer, if you don't want to lose your sense of smell, is to get completely vaccinated. I mean, come on. That's the answer. Not everyone is vaccinated and boosted. That's the answer. And the other answer is it will take time if you get it. You have to hang in there. The sense of smell in 95% or more of the people returns, but it can, it can take up to one year. Hmm. 1-800-462-7413 is our number. 800-462-7413. Now, Zorba, let's hear from a listener in Buffalo, New York. Hi. Hi there. Thanks for taking my call. I'm mm-hmm. definitely a big fan of the show. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. So my question is about juice. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering when you buy certain types of juices... Uh, it seems like it's mostly water, even though the container says 100% juice. Mm-hmm. And I was just wondering, is there a way they get around calling it 100% juice when, in fact, it's mostly water? Well, I don't know. You know, First of all, different juices, if they put in water, they have to write water. I mean, they have to put that in. So you may look at juice and say it's mostly water because the juice itself, I mean, juice obviously is mostly water. But I mean... If you see it settle, like if I buy fresh squeezed orange juice, which I really, really like, you know, it flows, you know, it, you know, it sinks to the bottom and there's a particulate matter in the bottom of the whole thing because that's where the orange juice kind of sits. But if they add water to it, they have to mention it in some way. Like they have to made, they have to say juice made from concentrate. So if they say juice made from concentrate, obviously they've used water. So some juices may be waterier than others if they're made from concentrate. What kind of juice do you like? I would say my favorite juice, which is kind of hard to find here, is black currant juice. Actually. Black currant juice. I have yeah. never had it. How did you get into yeah. black currant juice? Um, well, I'm Polish, and it's uh-huh. a pretty popular drink over there. Really? Hmm. So in Poland, yeah. they drink, you mean you go into somebody's house and they say, "Do you want some black currant juice?" Yeah, they will. But getting back to it, uh, if it's made from concentrate, obviously they add water, and obviously they're going to want to add more water because they're going to make more profit. So you've got to pick the juice that you have. You've got to pick a company, and it's usually a better juice on the whole is going to cost you more money. Right, especially if it's the real deal. If it's the real deal, you're going to pay more money. Because because basically, you know, if you've ever juiced an orange, for instance, you realize how many oranges you need to juice to make a really good glass of orange juice, natural orange juice. Yeah, quite a bit. Quite a bit. You got it. So, Well, thank you. Well, thanks for listening. Black currant juice. I'm I'm going to try it. I'm going to look for it. I think. Yeah. I think it might be tasty. Well, thanks. Well, thanks. Good question. Good question. All righty. Bye-bye. 800-462-7413, our number. 800-462-7413. Okay, Zorba, uh, let's crack open the always overstuffed Zorba Pester on your health inbox and take a listener email. The following question came to us from John in Madison, Wisconsin. John writes, Dr. Pester, I read your recent article about the importance of reading to your children from infancy until they can read themselves. I love reading and look forward to passing that joy on to my now eight-month-old daughter. Unfortunately for me, I'm legally blind, and reading text from printed material is incredibly difficult, so my wife does most of the book reading. One idea I've had is to play the audio version of the book along with the printed book, especially when she gets a little older and there's more substance to the books. Have you ever dealt with this issue where one partner is visually impaired and can't necessarily read the printed materials? Do you think it's an acceptable substitute, or would she just be better off having a parent read the book out loud? That is such a good question, uh, because I, what it is, it's the interaction 
of a child with the parent and the book and the words. So you could, I can just imagine where you have the audio book and the child is looking there and you, and you run the audio book and you periodically stop the audio book and you discuss the story. It's that interaction mm-hmm. that is the major thing. Interaction with words appears to increase intelligence. So yeah, I think, you know, you've got the audio book and you do the audio book for like a page or half a page and the child looks around because if you've got an audio book and you know you turn the page because you can get audio books that actually say turn the page and your child turns the page and then you're interacting and you say wow look at that Isn't that amazing i mean it's a rainbow in the sky and there are seagulls coming down that interaction is the important thing very very good excellent advice great idea i've not dealt with that specifically but now i can say i can i think you're doing a good job get an audio book put your child in front of the your grandchild in front of the book and then all of you connect together the audiobook yourself and the grandchild. Great idea. Have a healthy living question for Zorba? Just post on our Facebook page or send us an email at Zorba at WPR.org. 800-462-7413 is the number to call anytime with your question for Dr. Zorba. Let's now hear a voicemail from a listener in Buffalo, New York. Hi, I'm 70 years old and was recently diagnosed with prostate cancer, Gleason score 7, 3 plus 4. I'm planning to have surgery in about a month, and I wondered if there's anything I can do to prepare for surgery and my recovery. Thank you. Bye-bye. Always good to prepare for surgery. So first of all, general advice is always exercise, get yourself as fit as you can, Eat right, a more Mediterranean diet. Psychologically, you want to get ready for the surgery because with prostate surgery, uh, you know, for cancer, you want to risk that you will be incontinent for a while. And if you work on it, often that incontinence will be taken care of, but there's going to be a period of time where you're going to have to wear Depends or something like that. And you might have erectile dysfunction that may resolve and may not resolve. And so you have to sort of prepare yourself psychologically for that. You want to also know you've got a good surgeon, that you're happy with a surgeon. You want to make sure that you're set up with knowing what sort of painkillers you want to have. And then you want to get yourself in just the right mood for the fact that I'm going to have the surgery. It's going to be worthwhile. I've made my decision. So the answer is yes. Preparation for surgery really does make a difference in outcome. Mm. Uh, Before we head out today, Zorba, as you know, we have some doctors who listen to the show, and quite often they send us emails offering their take on something that was talked about during the program. So we decided to create a brand new segment for this. It's called Doctor to Doctor. Doctor? Doctor. 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 And doctor. Doctor to doctor. It's doctor to doctor. Hello, medicine. The, fo- <laughs> the following question. I'm going to dance today. Doctor, I got it. It's a rhythm. I can do it. You know something? We could sell. This could sell. <laughs> this question came from Dr. Ronald in Knoxville, Tennessee. Hi, Dr. Zorba and Tom. I preface my objection with praise for your show. I find it engaging, intelligent, and largely accurate. Several weeks ago, you seemed to make sport of the lady who ate mustard packets to prevent leg cramps. While I agree with you that there has been little research on the subject, there is a rational explanation of why this and many other sour products might work. It's thought that acidic acid being a strong noxious agent can mitigate cramping quickly by decreasing alpha motor neuron activity via orofermingeal stimulation and thus inhibit neurotransmitter production. Medicine has benefited by a thousand human generations of inquisitive folks like you and I, (laughs) Uh maybe even Tom, (laughs) 
who have tinkered with plants, minerals, and other parts of our Tom physical Seacrum. world in efforts to alleviate pain and disease. <laughs> Trial and error has produced most of our therapeutic modalities those 10,000 or so years. Despite not having randomized double-blind studies at my disposal, I can say confidently that pickle juice and similar acidic products do act to decrease cramps quickly, both in my own anecdotal experience and by extension hundreds of, of thousands, thousands of people or perhaps millions, millions of, people of happy runners have, have cramps footballers <laughs> lifters <laughs> rowers and hikers like myself it's going through the whole gamut of humans keep up how the good a, work how about a billion people that keep up the two, good work two billion people will be able to drink pickle juice and get rid of the cramps so that's good by the way you did a really good job of pronouncing oropharyngeal. Oh, oh, I've got to tell you something. You know what? You you could you could go to medical school with that. You're a little old. I don't think they. I don't think they. No do. more long. No more long comments or questions yeah, like yeah, that. That's right. That's right. That's right. You got, that's right. Are we almost over <laughs> no, this yeah, show? I think we're done. We're almost yeah. over. Uh, but he brings up a good point. It may be uh, the fact that this is a noxious stimuli, and all of a sudden the cramps go away. But on the other hand. We had a woman earlier to, uh, early today in the show, and she said all she does is pull her upper lip. So maybe it's, maybe it's <laughs> when you open it up and you put it in and it affects the upper lip. But you know what? I always appreciate those emails. That was very fine. Billions of people will respond to this. And now we will see a spike in pickle juice and mustard packets. Yeah, you appreciated <laughs> it because you didn't have to read it. <laughs> have a healthy living question for Zorba? Just post on our Facebook page or send us an email at Zorba at WPR.com. Org. <laughs> See you next week, Zorba. Stay well, Tom. If you missed anything during the show or just want to stream the show online anytime, visit us on the web at ZorbaPastor.org or, of course, find us through Facebook. And don't forget, you can call us anytime to leave your question at 800-462-7413. Zorba Pastor on Your Health is a production of Wisconsin Public Radio. It's not intended as a medical diagnosis, so please do check with your doc. Our executive producer is Carl Christensen. Our technical director is Brad Kohlberg. Our theme music is by Leo and Ben Sedrin. For Zorba Pastor, I'm Tom Clark, asking you to join us on the next Zorba Pastor on Your Health. Did you miss something on today's show? Simply go to ZorbaPastor.org to catch up on all things Zorba. There you will find recipes from the show, links to the Facebook page, Zorba's healthy living articles, and you can subscribe to the weekly podcast. On the web, that's ZorbaPastor.org.